0: Happy New Year, and we are going to start a really cool uh, message here to start off the year. It's the Beatitudes, um, not planned it's just kind of something that happened so there's a more extensive list of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, and we also we did that series, the Sermon on the Mount series, a couple of years ago. You're more than welcome to look that up on iTunes if you like, and we're not going to go into as much detail going through the book of Luke. Um, but if you like that detail, you're more than welcome to go into iTunes and and go into that because I think we did the Beatitudes in three four weeks in in that series and this one we're just going to cover it in in this evening's message. Now, when you look at the Beatitudes and the following teaches uh, teachings that Jesus taught, for that matter, how many of you get discouraged? You look at that and you're like, I really, I there's no way. You, I mean, if you look at these beatitudes just at face value, right? Blessed are the poor. Come on. I, I went to college. I work hard. I, I, I don't want to be that. Blessed are the hungry. Like I, I don't want to be hungry. I, I, I want to eat, right? I, I like food, as you can tell. And, or, or blessed are the weeping. Like who, who wants to be in that emotional state? You want to be happy. So so when you look at this stuff at face value, I mean, who wants these conditions in their life? You don't. Right? And if you experience these conditions, are you really blessed? Is that really a blessing? Is it really blessed to be poor, to be hungry, to be weeping? Is that really a blessing? So I kind of want to Clear this up a little bit by stating that it's not the condition of being poor, of being hungry, of weeping, that blesses us. These are not teachings that are teaching us how to be blessed. That's not the intent here, and thank God, right? I mean, poor, hungry, weeping, those aren't cool things. Because if these conditions are, are really what being blessed is about, then why are we called to serve the poor, to serve the hungry? To serve those who are weeping. To serve those who are help hurting. If those are the blessed states. Because if that is a blessed state, then we should leave them alone. Right? That it would be wrong for us to serve their needs. Right? We, we should leave them. Don't interrupt them. Let them be in their state of bliss and their state of blessedness. And don't help them in their poverty. Don't help them in their hunger. Don't help them in their hurts. Because that condition is blessed. So don't bother them. But that's not what we're called to do as Christians. We are to serve those people. We are to serve the hungry, the weeping, the poor. Now, the Beatitudes here, these aren't laws. These aren't commandments. These aren't teachings to do anything. It's not telling you to do anything. These are circumstances. These uh, uh, These are not circumstances. These are not conditions that are pleasing to God because uh, when you're in the middle of them you are wanting to get out of them you're asking God to rescue you from this stuff right? he doesn't want to keep you there Like he doesn't enjoy it, he's hungry that's so great, bless you. Right? you stay hungry just to the point of dying and then you know, that's good that's not God, right? it, it's not something that is necessarily good for us we're not better off by being poor we're not better off by being hungry or weeping nor are we better off being rich or gluttons, right? Or, or out of touch with ourselves. See, these aren't these are not spiritual goals, right? These aren't spiritual goals for us to work to. So, so what are these then? What are the beatitudes? What are these things? The beatitudes are an expression of life that we have through Jesus. Right? These these are illustrations. These are explanations that Jesus drew on from that time to to show us the availability of the kingdom of God through a personal relationship with Him. It's, it's a proclamation. It's, it's an announcement that the kingdom of God is available to the poor, available to the hungry, available to those who are weeping. And I'm going to define the kingdom of God a little, a little bit later. But what Jesus is doing here is he was using the opportunity to show the people who were following him then and us in the present what we can receive from the kingdom of God through him. That's what it's about. And so you think about who Jesus had blessed Right? You look back in the Gospel of Luke in, in the past five chapters we've looked at, who has he blessed? Right, The, the paralytic, the leper, the sick, the demon possessed, all these individual people that he could point out to in the Mass as he was preaching out here and teaching, uh, he could point to, like, you were blessed this way, you were blessed this way. And all these people understand this and that he brought the kingdom of God to them through him. Now, what does blessed mean? What does blessed mean? Blessed refers to the, the peak of well-being, right? It's the paramount of well-being that is possible for us. That is blessing. and how God defines blessedness and how people define blessedness, they, they might be different at times. Right? A lot of things we, we think are blessed or are best in our eyes are actually not the best in God's eyes. And many of the things we regard as cursed or last are actually blessed. And first in the eyes of God, and so that's what the beatitudes are. The beatitudes are a, a list of human lasts. The human lasts who, by the grace of Jesus, becomes God's first, and that's what the beatitudes are. The beatitudes point out and, and they prove that in Jesus, the reign of God is present in our life circumstances. That that look beyond hope. That that look that i can't get out of this i can't get out of poverty i can't get out of hunger i can't get out of weeping but you're still blessed by god now let's take a start at verse 20 here and we'll also clear up what poor means and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of god now you notice that jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples so this teaching, this, this beatitude teaching, this is for disciples. These are, this is for people who follow Jesus. And yes, there are some truths here, but this teaching is directed towards us. Right? It might give comfort to those who don't know Jesus, who don't follow Jesus at all. But the truth and the effects of these truths is, is for us disciples. It's for his disciples. It says, blessed are you who are poor. Now, in Matthew's gospel account, it it reads this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, for those who have just looked at Luke's gospel account, and they just look at blessed are the poor, some have taken this to be poor in terms of materially poor, being, you know, possession poor. And so some have taken it to the extreme of taking this vow of poverty, and to live like this, but this isn't necessarily talking about this. This isn't talking about material wealth. This isn't talking about that. This is talking about spiritual poverty. Being spiritually bankrupt, being destitute of religion. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God was made available to those who are spiritually impoverished. Right? God offers those who are spiritually broke, who have nothing to offer in terms of gaining entrance into the kingdom of God. He gives them the kingdom of God. Right? That, that, that in spite of that poor spiritual state, Jesus calls them blessed because of the grace of God. Because of his grace. And perhaps there are some of you who can call yourself a, a disciple of Jesus, but you feel that you have nothing to offer spiritually. You you don't know if you have any spiritual gifts, you don't know if you have any spiritual talents or anything to offer spiritually. And you feel little to no spiritual significance. The kingdom of God is for you. It's for you. It's for you even if you have nothing to offer. So being poor isn't something that you can earn. It's not something that you can, you can make your way into and, and get that way. It, it's, it's something that we just are, or that we all once were. Right? We, at some point in our life, we were all poor in spirit, right? Before we knew Jesus, we were there. But it's despite this condition, despite what's happening in us, despite that spiritual poverty, we have been invited into his kingdom. We've been invited for the kingdom of God is yours. Right, So the kingdom of God, what is that? The, this kingdom thing is a very big uh, event at my house right now because I have three girls and, and they all went to go see Tangled. And so we have kingdom. And they're all princesses now. So the kingdom, what is a kingdom? When you just think kingdom, what is it? kingdom is wherever the king has authority right so entangled they let up all those lanterns and stuff in his kingdom he can choose to do that that is his effective will for him to release all those little lanterns in the kingdom and if you haven't seen the movie then you don't understand what i'm saying but if you do if you saw it you understand what i'm saying And so he can do what he wants in his kingdom. Whatever the king wants done in his kingdom, he can do. It's where he can exercise his effective will within the kingdom. But outside of the kingdom, not effective. It's somebody else's kingdom. So you take your home, for instance. In your home, that's your kingdom. You can decorate it the way you want. You can pile up the dishes as long as you want. You can do all sorts of stuff unless you have a queen that doesn't want you to do those things. But but in your kingdom, you can do stuff that you want, right? You can be as neat or as messy or you can you can put certain things in there. You can take certain things out. You can do all this other stuff. You can exercise your effective will unless you invite someone into your home to exercise their will. Unless that person is called a the mother-in-law. Then it's out the window. But if you do exercise your effective will in somebody else's home without permission, what is that? It's called a crime. It's called trespassing. Right? So your effective will can only be for your kingdom, your, your domain. So the kingdom of God is the span of God's effective will. What God wants done in his kingdom is done where whatever he wants to do whenever however he does it. So in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, he tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? We are to seek first what God is doing. It's in his kingdom. What is he doing? When is he doing it? How is he doing it? God is working in his kingdom. What is he doing? I need to seek that. Right, and that's for us to seek in Luke chapter eleven, verse two. Jesus is instructed us to pray, "Your kingdom come." What does that mean? That is a prayer for for God's will that that God's that that what He has willed in His kingdom that it be done. That God's will is first, so you seek that, you pray for that. That's that's what we're doing here. And so, the kingdom of God is for the, for those who are poor, which at some time we all were, and the people listening to God's meshe- message there were were all at some point, poor. In that mass of people that Jesus was teaching to, there were many who were poor. right? People who had no spiritual capability, no spiritual credentials, and yet the kingdom of God was made available to them through Jesus. This is the grace of the Lord. You think about the, the team of 12 apostles that he chose. right? Think about these guys. Spiritual nobodies at the time. Nobodies. No qualifications, no experience. I'll prove it to you. How many of you can name all 12 besides Chris How many of you can name all 12? Right? Just average people. You can't even name all of them. You can probably name three, maybe six. But you can't name all 12. Just, they were, they were spiritual nobodies, right? They, were, they weren't a group of guys that you would think, we are going to start a spiritual movement that is going to change the entire world. Hmm a fisherman Well, make that 3. Right? You don't, you don't, they don't they weren't doing that. These are spiritual nobodies, no religious status whatsoever. These aren't people who are well educated in the spirit, in the scriptures. There wasn't a scribe that was invited, there wasn't a prophet, there wasn't a priest. Spiritual nobodies, no spiritual authority, no spiritual uh, status at all. Nothing to make us think that God would use them. A tax collector a zealot? Come on. I mean, who are these guys? And maybe some of us feel this way. Maybe some of us think, like, how in the world do I fit into the kingdom of God? I, I've never been to Bible school. I've never been to seminary. Or I, I, I'm a relatively new Christian. I haven't even read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation yet. I, I I keep thumbing through the same thing. I keep going through the Gospel of John or whatever. And, you know, and so... People feel this way, right? People that, perhaps there are some of you who feel that your, your spiritual bank account is just empty and that spiritually you're insignificant because you have nothing to offer there. And if you feel you have nothing to offer spiritually, the kingdom of God is for you. That's who it's for. And the reign of God, his will, his effective will for you to participate in is available to you. And Jesus offered that to the poor back then. He offers us to, this to us, the spiritually poor, now. And a relationship with Jesus isn't simply just an everlasting life with God. And that might shock some of you. Like, what? I thought, I, thought, I thought that's all it is. It, isn't it just about salvation? No. Your relationship with God is more than just salvation. Right? When Jesus touches your life, the kingdom of God is made available to you where the will of God is it's, it's open to you. It's open for you to direct it directly and to actively participate in that kingdom, in his will. And, and that's the richness of the body. That's the richness of mind, spirit, and soul for, for you to participate with your entire being in the will of God. And it's not a life where you just kind of, oh, I accepted Jesus in my life, so I guess I can wait till I die to be with him. It's, and be with him doing what? The same thing you're doing now? That's terrible. Right? If you're not doing anything for Jesus now, if you're not living like a kingdom life now, you want to do that forever? That, that, that would bite. Right? That, that, that's terrible. Who wants to live like that? So you live in the kingdom of God, not in this passive way, right? Not not, you live in it seeking to assertively tap into what his will is and to be involved in that will. God offers us the abundant life. He offers us the abundant life. that There's this transformation of who we once were to who we are becoming. And we are becoming more Christ-like. And that's essentially what justification is, right? Justification is this Christian term of becoming righteous before God. Becoming more Christ-like before, before God. And yes, that happens in faith when you pray that Jesus comes into your life. And what he's done for you on the cross. His resurrection. And he promises you an abundant life. But there's this process there's this process of justification not in that you were not forgiven of sins that is right away you you have faith in god and you pray that you pray that prayer and yes he forgives you but the abundant life has a process the abundant life involves a change in the type of people we once were to the type of people we are becoming and becoming more Christ like. Changes, changes in our heart, changes in our thinking, in our life, in our choices. It influences our every being, right? Our very character. There's the spiritual impact that takes place inside of us, which involves more than just you, it involves an entire community. The abundant life calls us to engage the world, to engage the culture through Jesus, with Jesus. And it's about regeneration. It's about transformation, not just for you, for you to share that with other people, to make the kingdom of God available to them also. The gospel is the good news of presenting the availability of the life in the kingdom of God right now and everlasting. And so... uh, God is in control, and we can experience that now. Right? Because You can experience heaven now. And for some of you, you're like, oh, if this is heaven, this is really bad. Like, oh, this is so bad. But think about this. Heaven is essentially being in the presence of God, right? Because without the presence of God, you're in hell. So you can experience heaven on earth. And maybe for some of you this is difficult because maybe you're not in His will. Maybe you're more in your own will, and so maybe that doesn't work for you. But there's this process called discipleship, learning from Jesus how to live your life as though Jesus were living your life if He were you. Discipleship. And if you live that way, you can experience heaven on earth. Right? Verse 21, first part of it. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Matthew records for us in his gospel, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who yearn for what is right. right? Yearn for what is just, what is fair, what is impartial, what is good. And your satisfaction will receive will be received not from you and from what you have done, but it's from God. God will give it to you. There isn't something that you can do or, or something that you can earn that for yourself. It's God's grace that has made the kingdom of God available to satisfy that hunger. And so Jesus is up there. He's, he's preaching to a bunch of people. Many of them had this hunger for what was right. right? They, a lot of them were cheated. Probably most of them, if not all of them, were cheated because there was something called a tax collector. And that person collected for the Roman government... And that person took money from everybody else for himself as well as for his crew. Because he had to have backup for himself. He had to have a gang that protected all the stuff that he was collecting. So he collected for the Roman government, but he had something for himself. And then he had to give out to the rest of the guys. right? So, so all these people there were affected somehow, were cheated somehow by a tax collector. Someone who took money from them that wasn't really theirs. And so, so you see here that, that all of these people were cheated in some way. And so you can see many of them, how they were surprised when Jesus chooses to go to Levi's house. And it's not to buy a pair of jeans or something. It's to go eat. To have a great feast, it says. Right? And so, so you can see these people like, what? That guy, he cheated me out of money. Why is Jesus going over to his house to eat? And you can see how people were really surprised when they chose Matthew, a tax collector, to be one of his apostles. Are you kidding me? That guy? He's taken money from me. He's cheated me. And so how many of them weren't given a fair shake because of their ethnicity or of their citizenship or whatever? For instance, if you weren't Roman, you didn't get the preferential treatment as a Roman guy would, right? Remember Paul? He gets beat up and he says, by the way, I'm Roman. And those guys are like, oh man, we're we're done. He's Roman. Why did not you say something sooner? Right? And they get really nervous. Why? Because he has rights as a Roman citizen. If it was somebody else, which they thought he was, pummel them, teach them a lesson. And so, so you see all these people that weren't Roman citizens. You talk about Roman soldier brutality, Right? They, they got it. They weren't given a preferential treatment. And so how many of those people in those days didn't have enough money? Or they didn't have, uh, they weren't from the right part of town. They were a Samaritan. And they weren't given the time of day. Jesus assured his followers, his disciples, that God was going to make everything all right. Things are going to turn out all right. He gave them hope that they would be satisfied. No matter what your ethnicity, no matter how much money you have, no matter your citizenship, no matter all this stuff, things will be made right. You will be satisfied. And how about those of us who are working towards different social justice issues in our day, where, where we feel so much injustice is going on, and we hunger for that justice. We want that justice. We will be satisfied. And there are some of us here who struggle with sin. For those of you who struggle with this continual sin in your life, you can't shake it. You know what the Bible instructs you to do, but you just can't consistently and regularly do what is right. The the things that you continue sinning in, it, it won't give you that satisfaction, but Jesus promises that He will and that there is hope for you. The second part of verse 21, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, Jesus wasn't encouraging us to be miserable people. He doesn't want you to be sad all the time and on there. And you remember that the Beatitudes are not conditions. right? They're not conditions, and weeping in this case, the Beatitudes are about the kingdom of God. Now, when we think of people who weep, it's associated with With deep emotional pain, with deep emotional anguish, it's a sign of an intense hurt inside, and sometimes you can't control it. And what's what's a, a deep grieving, that's what it oftentimes produces, is weeping. So laughter isn't promised by weeping. It isn't by weeping, but it is despite it. It's despite it. In that, in that place of hurt that is, that is causing that weeping, the kingdom of God has been opened to you by the grace of Jesus. Jesus opens that up for you. And just like those who are listening to Jesus preach the Beatitudes, you too can experience laughter through Jesus, through him providing that by opening the kingdom of God to you. And there are so many hurts that people have. A ton. Too many for me to name you know, there's betrayal, there, there's death, there's neglect. So many. And so much emotional pain and so much brokenness. And just as Jesus delivered so many people from such pain and hurt back then by making available to them the kingdom of God, He does that for us today as well. Right? For those of us who who need our emotional health restored. It's there for you. Right? The blessedness is not in the condition of being Weeping, of weeping. It's, it's by being in the kingdom. And you are blessed. And in your grieving and in your mourning as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you learn from Jesus how to live a life in the kingdom. And there you will experience laughter. And the weeping turns into laughing. Verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you when people lie about you, insult you, mistreat you, they discriminate against you, and they bully you when you stand up for what Jesus stands up for. Right? It's not mistreating you and all this stuff when you're just a jerk. That's not what it's saying. When you're standing up for what Jesus stands up for, blessed are you. Right? Blessed are you when, you when when people think that you take Jesus too seriously. You just take him too seriously. Right? You, you take him too literally blessed are you right? that's, that's how the disciples of, of Jesus were viewed back then right? people thought those guys were nuts for following Jesus how can you follow that guy he, he's like an illegitimate son of that woman who, who knows who his dad is Joseph is his father but it's not his biological father She has this crazy story about being touched by God and having a virgin conception. That is a crazy woman. That is a lying woman. You cannot possibly follow that poor guy. He got trained in the worst rabbinical school. He went to Galilee, for goodness sake. He went to Stanford. (laughs) If if I lived in Palo Alto, I'd say Berkeley. Um, But... You know, so you can't possibly follow that guy. There's no way. And there, there's more persecution of Christians in our world today than in any time in our world history. There are more Christians martyred today. More Christians hated, excluded, reviled, and spurned as evil on account of Jesus today than any time in our world history. And we're warned about this by Jesus in John chapter 16, verses 2 through 4. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Then comes these series of woe statements from Jesus in verses 24 through 26. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The woes don't mean that the kingdom of God is forever cut out from the rich or the full or the laughing or those who are spoken well of. It's more about people who feel they they are well off, they are well fed, they are well dressed, they are... Well-to-do, well-educated, and think that that is what the abundant life in the kingdom is about, and that is wrong. That's not what it's about. Blessedness is not solely about material blessing, right? It, it, it can be part of it, but but it's dangerous territory to enter when we think that God's blessedness is attached to material possessions when it's attached to monetary blessings, when it's attached to profession or, or things of that nature. Why? Because it breeds entitlement. right? It breeds this entitlement. It breeds pride, which aren't good things when it comes to a relationship with God. Are we entitled to things from God? The wages of sin is death. So if we're talking about justice... The entitlement is death. Rather than looking for the will of God in a community of faith, it's more about forming this little club of elite people when you have this type of mindset, where you kind of feel that you are entitled to God's blessings, you are entitled to good jobs, you're entitled to material possessions, you're entitled to everything that the world has to offer. But I have a question. How do folks on the outside of that, how do the Beatitudes apply to them? the poor the hungry the weeping who can't ever enter into a club like that who can't ever enter a church like that because that's not even church right will an uneducated person or a poverty stricken person or a drug addict or a seriously disabled person be able to enter a church like that or a club like that and if people can't enter that's not a christian community that, that's, not, that's not what it's about. It, as a church, we are to welcome everyone. We welcome all. We welcome the poor. We welcome the hungry. We welcome the weeping. We welcome sinners. We welcome prostitutes. We welcome people of different lifestyles. We welcome those addicted to different things. We welcome everyone. None of us is perfect. And we have this opportunity to bless everyone who walks through our doors without any judgment on them, without any conditions placed on them. And Jesus provides beatitudes to us today in his kingdom. It's not about us being poor. It's not about us being hungry or weeping so that we can be blessed. It's not a condition. It's, these aren't conditions that please God. But it's also not about being rich, full, and happy. That's not what Jesus is about. It's not about the condition. Jesus delivered the Beatitudes telling, that, telling the people that the kingdom of God is accessible. It's available to give hope to people and to bless people. It's not about a condition. It's about being in the reign of God in your life, about having that kingdom of God in your life. To focus on the condition, to focus on the circumstances, that just cheapens the gospel of the kingdom. Right? If we focus on the condition... If we focus on the circumstances, we are providing false hope. The hope is not in the condition. Conditions change. The hope is the kingdom of God. The hope is in Jesus Christ. The hope is in who, not what. Do we want Jesus or do we want things? It's not about what we can receive. It's about what we are allowed to give through the kingdom of God. We can give them access. We can give availability to the kingdom of God through Jesus. What he's shared with us, we can share with other people. And to tell people who feel that they don't have much that, you know what? You actually have quite a bit. You have a lot. Right? And for for those who are helpless, that that God is there and that He is wanting to bless them, and not necessarily in materials, but that He is in control, and that they can be an active and direct participant in the kingdom of God. Because where does materialism stop? Where do the possessions stop? Where do the conditions stop? You're happy. I want to be happier. I have stuff, but I want more stuff. I'm 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 well fed, but I want to be more well fed. Right? It doesn't stop. It's just the kingdom of God made available to you. And that's it. There's nothing more. You can't get any more than that. Right? You've, you've been given everything. You've inherited what, what Jesus inherited from God. He's given you all of that. The gospel of the kingdom of God is that no one is beyond Beatitudes. The purpose of of the Beatitudes is that Jesus and his power and righteousness are available to anyone who relies on him that the reign of God is available to everyone and as followers of Jesus we are to effectively live out the gospel of the kingdom of God by confidently going to anyone who lacks hope and give them assurance that they can enter a life of blessing with God through Jesus right now so are we able to do that? Can we do that? Who is on your hopeless list? And I'd like to challenge us to change that to who is on our hopeful list. Who is on our hopeful list? And as a disciple of Jesus, we bring hope. We bring blessing in the name of Jesus by sharing the availability of the kingdom of God through Jesus. Not the false promises of these condition changes that change all the time and that they never satisfy. Or change in material possessions or whatever. It's the availability of the kingdom of God that is made available. The poor, the hungry, the weep. Those are all timeless examples that Jesus has given us. Who in our life needs beatitude? Who are the ones considered last around us? Who are the ones considered cursed? around us who thinks that the goodness of god isn't available to them because of where they are in life or how they look or their past or whatever whatever it is what are the list of beatitudes for us today right blessed are the geeks or blessed are the uneducated or unemployed uncoordinated disabled divorced weak lonely homeless angry bankrupt blessed are all those people For they will be hilariously celebrated over. They are going to be thrown this crazy party in their honor. And you can fill in the beatitude. You can fill in those people that need that blessing. And Jesus makes the kingdom of God available to all those who are willing to call out to Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Right now, regardless of condition, regardless of past. And it's not about wanting a condition It's not about wanting a change in your condition. It's about wanting a relationship. A relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God whom it doesn't matter your condition because it's not about the condition anyway. It's about who God is a loving God who can transform you from your deplorable state into something more. And so oftentimes we're we're just very judgmental as Christians some worse than others and we like telling people that they're doing wrong. We like to focus on modifying behaviors and making them change different things so much more than encouraging a relationship with God. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11 because a lot of Christians like to use this as their pointing fingers session, right? So, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. I'm not going to downplay sin, sin is serious. But I want to focus more on the hope. Do you see the hope there? And such were some of you that God can transform, that God can regenerate from sin. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All of us are guilty of sin. Some of us have heard and we've accepted the gospel. Some of us have been made righteous over some pretty crazy stuff in our life. We have some crazy stories of how God rescued us. And if Jesus made the kingdom of God open to us, he can make it open to anyone, don't you think? Anyone. So you think of the most terrible sinner you can possibly think of in your head. And for me, um, I, you can probably think of one that's worse. But my mind right now is focused on on an intern trip that is going to the Philippines where we're going to be partnering with this organization called PTI and then another one called IJM, International Justice Mission, and we're going to be working with sexually trafficked kids. So for me, it's the kidnapper who kidnaps the kid, gang rapes them, and puts them out to work and enslaves them to be a sexual slave. I cannot think of a worse person. But God even blesses them that's hard for me to understand. But he God chooses to open the kingdom of God to them. That's tough for me. I'd rather they just go to hell. Thank God I'm not God. That's not Christianity. We're... Christianity, where the most terrible people in the world can be transformed and regenerated into disciples of Jesus. You look at the Apostle Paul. Persecuted Christians was responsible for Stephen's death. What did God do with him? He's the Apostle Paul, wrote a lot of the Bible. Amazing, right? He, wrote, he even wrote Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, where it reads, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is in all and in all. And I bring this up because Paul brings up Scythian in verse 11. Do any of you guys know who the Scythians were? And do you notice that Paul writes barbarians and then Scythian? And you look at the other stuff that he's writing there, right? Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. These guys are an extreme of barbarianism. They are the barbarian of the barbarian. Right, And you read this, that Paul even gives them their own category. Herodotus records for us that they scalped and they sometimes flayed their enemies and they drank their blood. And the way that they did that was they made their skull their cup and they drank their blood. And when a Scythian king died, one of his concubines is strangled right there. He's buried with him. And at the close of the year, 50 of his attendants are strangled. They're disemboweled. They're mounted on dead horses and they're left in a circle around his tomb. These are the Scythians. And these are who Paul included there. So the kingdom of God is open to the Scythian. Crazy. As much as it's open to a good old Christian boy. It's open to the sex trafficker. Even though it bothers some of us. But that's where the kingdom of God, it's open to everybody. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16-17, through 17, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So Jesus was accused of hanging out with sinners all the time, right? I uh, Yeah. He's a Savior. That's what saviors do. They save sinners. I'm duh. So why are you accusing of a Savior hanging out with sinners? That's what they do. right? So, so people who are hell-bent are now heaven-bound because Jesus made the kingdom of God available to them. And so the Beatitudes, they aren't addressing the spiritual elite. They're therefore they're spiritual nobodies. And, and how God made the kingdom of God available to us. It's about providing hope. It's not about providing a false hope in changes of conditions, circumstances, or things. It's about providing hope in God through his kingdom, through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank that. Thank you that you've made the kingdom of God available to all of us, regardless of who we are, despite who we are. I pray, Lord, that you would equip us to effectively walk in your will, to acknowledge your reign, and to be able to actively participate and directly participate not in passive ways not in indirect ways but in an assertive way in your kingdom to learn how to live in your presence now into everlasting and lord as we have gained that hope i pray that you would equip us to offer that hope as well in jesus name amen